Hey guys, welcome back to the Woodworking Podcast. My name is Nick Ferry, and I can be found at nickferry.com. Joined by a couple people here, April Wilkerson. Say hi, April. Hello, hello. And she can be found at wilkerdues.com. And also joining us as usual is Jay Bates, and he can be found at jayscustomcreations.com. Hey, folks. <laughs> right before we hit record, we were talking about the different ways to pronounce folks. So, yeah, the inside joke. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Let's move right along into it. Uh, breaking news, uh, for me anyways, I just finished installing an air conditioner in my shop. Oh, nice. such a luxury. The crappy thing is the day I was installing it, it was 98 degrees. And the day I got it all installed and ready to test it, it was 65. Oh, man. <laughs> That's What size air conditioner do you get? Uh, 12,000 BTU. And how big is the shop? Uh, roughly 22 by 22 with nine foot ceilings. Okay. So, I mean, they, they, I got a kick out of how they were rating these. I got it off Amazon. I'll, I'll post a link if, uh, in the article, but, um, I was getting a kick of how they were rating these. They were saying, oh, it's good up to 600 square feet. Well, 600 square feet with what ceilings? And is this an insulated space? And... You know, it doesn't go by that necessarily, and it doesn't necessarily even go by BTUs, and it doesn't go by even cubic feet. I mean, there's a whole calculation of energy loss. So, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, when, when you go to get, say, like a forced hot air furnace, you know, that's pretty common in the northern states anyways, but that they do an energy loss calculation, and it's, you know, the R value in your walls and your floor and your ceiling. Do you have drafts and leaks? Uh, do you have newer, you know, dual-pane, you know, insulated glass? And there's a whole, you know, thing of factors that get, go into play. But I figured, hey, for, a, you know, 400 and roughly 450-square-foot shop, uh, the walls as of right now are insulated. The ceiling is not, but I want to finish all the wiring in the ceiling before I go traipsing around in a foot and a half of blown insulation your door is insulated but, uh, too right yep yeah i did i did put a video out on that uh about a year and a half ago so yeah. mm -hmm. so your your space is um slightly bigger for square footage but a foot shorter in the ceiling yours is insulated mine is not and i've got a slightly larger unit that keeps up with the heat no problem in, in the, the southern climate here uh, but with yours being insulated yours that should should do it just just fine uh, Jay, you have 10-foot ceilings? Yeah, my ceilings are 10-foot in the garage. Huh, interesting. Um, so my AC actually just went out last week. I go to turn it on for the first time this season because kind of like push it and push it and push it. I like to, if I can bear it, I like to leave my door and window open with just a shop fan going. But it finally got too hot, and I was like, okay, I'm going to close it all down and and uh, turn on the AC unit, and it and it won't turn on. I measured, uh, I put a meter on the plug, and it's getting uh, 240, but it's not uh, But it's not turning on, so something's going on with it. Yep, 240 and not 220. <laughs> <laughs> Jay and I were just discussing about saying 220 instead of uh, 240, so for his sake, I'm now going to refer to it as 240. Yay. And I'm, and I'm staying with the camp that says that energy into a house fluctuates, and I guess it could be either. <laughs> So your your air conditioner is it a mini split or is it just a single wall unit or? Uh, it's a mini split, and oddly enough, I had talked to you about it uh, when I was at your house, and uh, talked to Mike Capazzi. Uh, I'll put a link to his channel in there as well. Um, and then a guy tried to sell me one probably about eight years ago for my old uh, business shop, 
and it just a didn't need it but you know eight years ago they were just hugely expensive but the reason I like the mini split you know so many guys are wanting to put the window units in and you know if they have a window unit laying around then cut a hole in the wall well it has to vent to an exterior wall exterior wall being a load bearing then you'd have to add a header and that's just a ton of work and the price has come down as at the time that I bought this it was 715 bucks and that's pretty much all said and done I had to buy some you know the wire and circuit breakers you know to hook that up uh, and I had a little bit of help uh, a buddy of mine did kind of the final connections on the wiring because he's an electrician but you know if you're competent in that area you can definitely do it but I actually spun it as a safety thing now granted it's it's a luxury item but oddly enough I was on the table saw about two weeks ago and a big drop of sweat dropped on my table saw top and while I was cutting so I just thought to myself I'm more concerned about that big droplet of sweat on my cast iron <laughs> than I am of where the blade is so at least that's what I told my better half is you know oh, this is for safety's sake do you want me to cut my hand off well then I need AC <laughs> I love the argument <laughs> and, and you know you can't you can't woodwork on a, on a hungry stomach so uh I said, uh, I also keep need some a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, and some hohos and ding dongs. Here's <laughs> oh, something else. But I figured, hey, when you know, this is something I've been wanting to do for quite some time, and I've been pulling the trigger on a lot of items that I've been putting on the back burner. Being you guys are coming to visit, and what is it? Almost a week and a week and a half, something like that. Yeah, two yeah, weeks. Yeah, week and a two days. Yeah, so that way we're not all going to be dripping, drenching sweat because that'll be beginning of July, and that's pretty close to our hottest season. Yay. I'm very happy. Which I guess, also, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I, I guess now that, because the only reason I put a window unit in my shop is because a buddy uh, was throwing it away. And so he saved it and then brought it over to mine. So that's why I went ahead and did all the work and cut a hole in, put in a header, added in a few more studs and then threw it in. And it lasted for, uh, I guess, a season and a half, maybe two seasons. So it was fine. But I think now that I need to replace it, I'm going to be looking at the, the mini split. The thing that I like the most about mine, obviously it cools, but it's so quiet when I'm recording. I can just leave it on. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't pick up What do you do as far as like a filter? Do you, I mean, because with my window unit, I just bought one of those furnace filters and put it over the intake. It's got one of those generic little, um, you know, standard air conditioner filters in it that you need to vacuum out every now and then. Um, mm-hmm. I, I haven't done anything else with it. I, uh, I use my shop vac and vacuum everything off. I don't blow anything off. I always use... Uh, a vacuum source to clean it all but I, I take the filter out and vacuum the filter and then I also vacuum the coils the best I can um, okay. that being said you know since I put which of course it's been running for like eight months without it but since I put the uh, that mobile air filter cart the mm-hmm. the amount of airborne dust that settles on horizontal surfaces has drastically been reduced that's cool. So, have you uh, since you've had that for a week or two or a few weeks now? How uh, have you seen a difference in your allergies or your congestion? Yeah, yeah. Good. It's uh, and I don't you don't smell as much wood as as you're just standing around in the shop or like if you go away from the shop and then come back into it, you get this like it's like that same smell like when you walk into Lowe's or Home Depot, you know? Yeah. Um, that's not as pronounced as as what it is. I but I like that was. smell. You I like that it. smell. My wife likes that smell, actually. We're going to Lowe's. She's like, oh, it smells great in here. We have a, a company called Fleet Farm around here, which is more geared towards uh, farm uh, equipment and farm-type items. But my wife worked there in high school right before we started dating, and they have a whole tire department. So, 
you know, it smells like brand new uh, rubber tires. And she goes, I really like that smell. And that's right when I knew I had a keeper. Definitely. <laughs> She's a keeper. <laughs> yeah, she likes the smell of Fleet Farm. <laughs> like, sweet. We share things in common. <laughs> yeah. But I'm no, I've been uh, also laying some new flooring after nine years of kids and pets on crappy carpet to begin with. Uh, figured I'd pull the trigger and try and get that done before you guys get here. And I don't know, it's roughly 750 square feet of, we just went with cheap laminate. We just want something to last maybe three or four years. And I got about half of it done. Oh, it'll last Very longer cool. than that. We got our, our entire, um, living space, every room in the house, except the bedrooms has some type of hard surface floor. I love it. I can't stand carpet in the living room. Uh, our last uh, the apartment we were in had had carpet throughout, and that uh, it's just so annoying, especially if you're in and out, in and out, in and out all day long, traffic, uh, tracking all kinds of stuff off your shoes. It's just it's so annoying. So all of our hard surface floors are so much easier to clean too. Yeah, I like, I like both. Just depending, I like to walk around barefoot a lot, and so unless the floors are really clean, um, I like carpet because you just can't uh, feel all like the the sand or whatever it is that you're dragging in dirt um but i have hardwood and carpet mixed throughout the house but i think i would want to do the same as you rip up the carpet and put down hardwood so i like it i, I like both both things for different reasons but i think uh, i like the look and aesthetics of hardwood or tile better than the look of carpet and now they have that uh, printed tile where it looks like wood yeah or it's like stamped yeah yeah i like yeah. that so that's that's definitely an interesting. I don't know. I don't. I don't immediately jump on new substrates or new products in that sense. Uh, I'm I'm more standoffish than than a lot of people. Maybe I don't follow the trends too. I mean, I'm not a very trendy guy, but um, yeah. I like I said. I, I'm sure it'll last longer than that. But my wife is not 100% sold on it, which is weird because she has terrible allergies. And really? I said, this will improve that dramatically. I mm -hmm. said, you've been, you were vacuuming like every week or, you know, sometimes more. The, the hard surface is so much easier to clean. Yeah, especially if you have like a Dyson and it has one of the, I, I got the multi-floored one so I can go from tile to hardwood to carpet. And then before I talk about the next thing I was working on, uh, I totally forgot to talk about the new contributors since our last podcast. And I definitely want to take some time to thank those individuals Um Len Henkel, Brent, uh, Brent Albrecht, and then William Voorhees. Thank you so much uh, for throwing a little money in the in the pot and and letting us do what we do. Yeah, thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Because apparently I can't read a list in order. I jumped right into the number two thing and forgot about that. You're excited to tell us about your AC. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I noticed it, but I figured you'd get back to it. Yeah. So yeah, and then the other thing. Uh, well, I just had to talk about, I haven't put out a video in probably a month and a half. And I, man, just haven't had the time. And most of the stuff like the flooring, I didn't want just a time lapse of me installing laminate. And uh, I didn't, I'm not an expert in it by any means. So I didn't think I'd, I'd have anything unique to offer other than, you know, lay it down, hammer it in, put some trim back and be good to go. But also I got, uh, got my lathe in, got that assembled and in place, and that's a heavy beast. And that actually took a little, little bit of time. Was nice. that was that the three-phase converter? Was that, was that is that what that was for? Yep. Yeah. It, it, I was just. It was kind of a. 
indirect teaser because the uh, variable frequency drive is already from the factory on the back of it. So I just took the cover off, took a picture. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, so have but you turned yeah. anything on it? Not really. Um, I put a spindle on it and made it cylindrical. Uh, threw just a couple shapes on there and probably 30 minutes tops and then I had to literally move back to the flooring back to the air conditioner mm -hmm. and uh, yeah just been go 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 and it's that time of year I got two kids and uh, soccer games uh, four nights out of the week and so yeah just busy 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 well I'm really looking forward to our trip I keep thinking about it I've intentionally left my lathe in the box but I am I'm getting more and more tempted to pull it out and start playing with it but <laughs> I'm definitely gonna wait until I get up there yeah, I got. Uh, I ended up pulling the trigger on a Rikon slow speed grinder, mostly because you can you can um, you know sharpen on a high speed, which is what I have. But I have like a forty grit and a sixty grit wheel, which mm -hmm. is no good. And so okay, so then I have to buy two new wheels. Well, the cheapest you'd have to go with would be about twenty five to thirty dollars a wheel for two wheels. So you're talking fifty to sixty bucks. The Rikon's only 100 and it comes already with the wheels and it's a slow speed. So I went with that and um, a kind of a middle of the road high speed steel uh, tool set. And then I got a carbide set uh, being made um, and hopefully that should be all said and done by the time, uh, by the time we uh, get here. I, don't, I didn't know if I wanted to mention him now or what, you know, the surprise when he, when he sends me the tools. But there, he sent me a sneak peek picture. Because I kind of had a special request. I wanted black handles with silver ferrules. Nice. Nice. And yeah. And he even did an inlay in silver leaf. Oh, two cool. little rings. Yeah. Fancy schmancy. I'll, I'll, well, I'll just mention who it is. It's Tommy G. I'll put a link to his channel. Oh, um, I know Tommy. Yeah. And uh, these things are looking pretty stellar. So. That's so cool. Tommy's really good. Good people. So for a sharpening jig, are you going to make your own or just try and get one of like a Wolverine jig or something like that? I, yeah, I got the Wolverine jig right away. Oh, um, nice. That way, no, no dinking around. Because even, what was it? I threw a spindle on there, and then like four or five days had gone by, and then I just turned a little uh, lidded box. And when I was hollowing, I, I already noticed that the one tool was getting dull. And so I just threw it on there quick and touched up the edge. Convenience. Yeah, yes. Something else I'll, I'll have to learn while there. I have a... Um, I have a, a sharpener. I have the Triton one, but of course, since I don't really use chisels, I don't have a use to sharpen mine. <laughs> but if I'm going to get into turning, then y'all can show me one, how to turn, and then two, how to sharpen my, my tools. What, how is the Triton? I'm not familiar with the Triton model. How, how is that set up? Is that like a kind of a bench grinder style or is that more towards like a, a flat disc on the top? It's a bench grinder style for, for, um, the little bit that I've used it, you set the angle of your tool, and then it has the the wet stone, and then the, I guess the buffering stone. Is that? Oh, okay. Is that the right? Yep. Okay. So yeah, it's, like, oh. it's almost like buns. If you like, I'm, I don't know why, but I'm imagining Leia's buns. Princess and so Leia. The, <laughs> her, her her hair buns. Yeah, her hair buns. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> That's funny. Hey, I was just thinking cinnamon buns, so. <laughs> I just um, Googled it. It looks like uh, similar to the uh, Tormex style. Okay. So, yeah, definitely be able to sharpen on there. Yeah, definitely yeah, I mean, buns. <laughs> yeah, two of them. 
but uh, but yeah, it's still, it's still in the... Actually, I took it out of the box, and it's laying just on the side of my shop. I need to build a little stand for it, but of course, it's been on the back burner since it's not a priority, since I don't really use anything that needs sharpening on a regular basis, but I imagine that once I get into turning, I will. That's a, a whetstone is a system I, I've looked at and, and hemmed and hawed about, but I... As of last winter, I did not heat my garage consistently above freezing. Mm. So that, that actually would be a problem. Um, I'm hoping at some point, you know, I can at least keep it at like 40, but I don't want a big, you know, expensive stone to be going through a freeze thaw. Mm -hmm. Right. But yeah, that's ultra low speed. Sharpening systems, It's once you get a nice sharpening system, it's so convenient to just have everything sharp and keep them sharp. Mm -hmm. Such a convenience. Yeah. What uh, what wheels do you have on yours, Jay? You have the diamond wheels, don't you? I got the uh, 80 and then 120. I think those are the numbers, 80 or 180, something like that. Uh, the CBN wheels. They're not diamond. I don't think they're diamond. They're that little CBN, whatever that stands for. I'll put it in the show notes. I'm I'm uh, ignorant on the that subject. I'll, I'll put a link, too, to my... Uh list my tool pages i got pretty much a separate category for lathe being i bought the actual lathe and then the you know the grinder and the tools and the and i got a, a chuck and you know all that good stuff yeah once i had the lathe i i asked for suggestions as far as like i didn't have a grinder at the time well i did i had a harbor freight grinder but you can't really call that thing a grinder it's more of a it's more of like a, a machine that vibrates off of the table and doesn't hardly do anything <laughs> So I, I, I put a, uh, a feeler out there as far as what's recommended for long-term use. I don't want to have to upgrade again. So I got the Rikon Slow Speed Grinder and those CBN wheels, which, holy cow, that uh, kind of killed my budget for the month. <laughs> yeah, that, and I knew that going into that. And I guess that's, for anyone that's looking at getting into turning, that's probably the number one thing. Um, to look out for uh, when, at least when it comes to acquiring you might say hey the lathe is X amount of money that's that's we're almost insignificant because by the time you get a chuck and sometimes like a live center some tools maybe some high-speed steel tools a sharpener sharpening system uh, you might get some carbide tools and you know the list goes on and on and on so that's why Jay keeps referring to it as another wormhole or yeah. rabbit hole what's, rabbit this, hole. what's the saying rabbit. it's a rabbit hole yeah but you know, I mean, I was fortunate enough to have uh, a friend of mine, Kevin Miller, really helped me out on getting started with this. And the lathe itself is half the battle. There's just so much other stuff. But it's, it's you know, like any other thing in the shop, it's kind of a fun addiction. So. Oh, oh, yeah. It looks great to me. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to getting into it. And I've been thinking more and more about, like, future shop setups. And uh, I guess since y'all have lathes, maybe... Uh, brainstorming with different people who have a maybe like a woodworking shop and a turning shop in one section i was thinking about a future shop layout to where um i would have my kind of main shop for uh woodworking but then have maybe a partitioned off section just for turning yeah or maybe like a section to where i can roll my lathe outside if the weather's nice and cool with an awning because i imagine that it would be nice to get outside of the shop with all of the uh, sawdust that it creates you know yeah, that is, it's insane. I, I, I don't like turning with the garage door shut. Of course, it's yeah. starting to get quite toasty and humid here. So mm -hmm. I've, I've done a little bit of turning inside, but it's so convenient uh, in like the spring months, uh, last month. I just open the garage door. Mine's, my 
lathe is on a stand that's got casters on it, so you just wheel it outside, do what you want to do, blow yourself off with compressed air, and then wheel it back inside, and then your shop doesn't have any mess in it. Mm-hmm. Going back slightly to the, the tool addiction type thing, do you guys have any particular thing in your shop that you find yourself buying either multiples of or you just kind of collect them? Mine for me is quarter-inch ratchets. I can't not see a unique quarter-inch ratchet and not buy it. Hmm. Interesting question. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I've got more, I think I've got more hand saws than I could possibly justify right now, but I don't want to get rid of any of them because they're all unique, you know? Um, I, th- I would say hand saws with me right now. I don't, I don't think I have anything. I don't really oh. gravitate towards uh, things unless I need them because I don't like clutter and I don't like things sitting around unused. And I typically only go purchase something when it's needed. So, like, um, I didn't purchase more clamps until it really got to the point where I needed more clamps. Or I never went and bought a, uh, I always get it wrong. Jay, what's my saw called? It's called a pull saw. Do what? That Japanese saw that I, I, I called it a flush trim saw and he corrected me. Oh, it's it just was, a, it's a pull saw. You're pulling. The, okay, the, yeah, it pull, pull saw. It, it cuts on the pull stroke rather than the push stroke. Yeah. So I didn't go and actually buy a pull saw until I actually needed it for that project. So I ran into a situation where I needed it. I went to the store and bought it, came back and used it, and then I put it on my pegboard. So I, I do that repetitively throughout everything, and that's typically how I've grown my collection up. Yeah, that's also really good advice. That's my response to uh, – that's one of the most common questions that I get through email is I'm wanting to build a shop – what tools should I buy? Well, there's no right answer what tools you should buy and always recommend not buying anything until you absolutely need it for a project, uh, especially especially on the, on the early stages of building a shop because what I found is I oftentimes think I'll need something, so I'll get it, and then it just sits around collecting dust and it's a waste of money. So as you're building your shop in the early stages, don't buy anything until you absolutely need it, until you hit a wall and say, I need this to complete this task. Yeah. And Unless it's quarter-inch ratchets. Unless then it's you quarter- can, <laughs> Then you can buy as many as you want. Or saws no, in Jay's case. <laughs> I, I, I totally agree with that. And yeah, that is a common question for people looking at getting into it or just looking at furthering it. But mm-hmm. also... Remember too, you know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, I can't, I can't do this project because I don't have the millions of dollars in tools that you guys have, or whatever it, or whatever it may be." But you know, I've been doing this over twenty years, so it's you know, two decades of acquiring tools. But remember too, and I know Jay's done this a lot, and I think April with uh, her height board, same thing. You start out with uh, you know smaller toolkits, but you find a project that people like and that you can duplicate and sell. It's it's one of those unique hobbies to where. The hobby itself can progress itself. You know, if you got just a circular saw, you know, speed square, tape measure, and a drill, you could be making benches, picnic tables, or whatever. And all of a sudden, hey man, you sold two, three hundred dollars worth of, you know, whatever you're making, and now you can buy a different either table saw or router or this, that, or the other. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So I don't have anything that I gravitate towards yet, but that's not to say that I won't eventually. Although I did recently buy a uh, this the project that I'll be putting out on Sunday, I rebuilt my uh, utensil holder, and I built it. And then I thought it was square. And I thought uh, I think I want a slight angle on on across the entire front. Well, it was too large to run through my bandsaw, miter saw, or table saw. So I thought, well, I'll just go buy a hand saw and do Mac style on this thing. 
<laughs> and no, hand tools. I did not. I, man, it, <laughs> I was not having fun. I pulled up a stool and I sat there for, I think it took me, I don't know, 25 or 30 minutes to get through the entire thing. And I was just hating it the entire time. <laughs> so um, I don't know if I'll be gravi- gravitating towards buying hand saws anytime soon. Well, I think the, the, the gap as far as like the entry budget hand saws is as far as the quality and how well they work is it is much bigger gap between it and the nicer hand tools than it is with electric tools. Most, mm. el- most um, entry-level or budget electric tools, uh, they'll complete the task you know, fairly well, but there's a big gap as far as, as quality and, and uh, ease of use, whatever, in hand tools. You well, take you like know, I a, didn't even... I was actually going to message you because I didn't even know what I was should be looking for in a saw. I mean, the big box store only had two on the shelf, and I was at the end of the project, and I just wanted to get it done. So I just bought the two that were on the shelf and gave both a try. Sorry about the wind chimes. <laughs> I was just going to say, you should, you should let people know because I heard birds before. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I'm visiting my folks this week, and I brought my mic so that we could record the podcast still. So I'm currently sitting on my front porch sweating my butt off, but that's the, <laughs> the wind chimes and the birds. With some beautiful ambient sounds. Yeah, it's yes. very relaxing. I love being in the country. Um, <laughs> in fact, there's a, a guy who just started a channel. I think his name is Texas. I think it's Tex Woodcraft. Anyways, he uh, he just lives right down the road. So, But he, he looks like a traditional uh, hand tool guy. And uh, beautiful country with a good-looking shop on it. So, yeah, I was thinking about maybe sending him a message one of these trips saying, Hey, I'm right down the road. I don't know. That's the end of my story. <laughs> oh. Well, <laughs> why don't you continue that with the, you said you've been doing some welding? Yeah, welding practice. I uh, pulled my welder out of the box and um, went and bought a, a big old tank of argon. And yeah, I've just been playing around with it. Took your advice, Nick. I think we discussed a few episodes back about uh, getting into welding. And your advice was just to lay down bead after bead after bead and get real comfortable with it. So that's the stage that I'm at. And then I'm going to be uh, uh, tackling a, uh, my first welding project. Probably I'll start on Saturday, I think. How, how did it work? Did, it, did you see the, the quality progress from bead after bead? Oh, yeah. But I mean, I have new, newbie eyes looking at it, you know, so I think it's progressing. But it might <laughs> very well might not be. But I've been watching a lot of uh, welding tips and tricks. Jody. I, I was able to meet him in, in Atlanta whenever we were there. And uh, see, so yeah, I've been watching his channel, hopped on the phone with him a few times. And yep, I'm excited. The, yeah, the project is going to be uh, something for the uh, bed of my tailgate, Jay, to haul plywood and uh, flat. Because I was looking at yours and you have those ridges. I'm sorry, I'm not saying that right. Ridges. Ridges. Are you talking about inside Thank the you. bed? Yeah, those ridges that are actually yeah. like in the the body of the bed. Mine mine doesn't have that, and so there's no nothing that I can lay two by fours across. So I'm just going to make some very simple uh, brackets that will extend from my tail bed, uh, from the bed rail to the bed rail that I can lay a, a flat sheet of plywood. And it's really surprising me uh, looking around online. There's nothing out there currently that will allow you to haul um, to like set up in the bed of your truck to haul plywood flat. And still lay uh, like timber or sacks of concrete or anything underneath it. There's this one thing that it's like an accordion that you put over on 
one side of the bed and then you accordion it out to the other side and then you can hold sheet of plywood that way. But then it completely cuts off what you can lay down underneath it. If you can, can you visualize what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. isn't there like a, uh, was it centipede saw horses? Isn't that s- something similar? Have you seen Something those? similar, exactly, yeah. Right. But I mean, but then you can't slide anything underneath it because then you have to play around that, that structure there. So this is going to be something that actually hangs off the bed rails of my truck that will allow me to haul plywood flat and above the fender wells of my truck. But then I can also put two by fours or sacks of concrete or cans of paint underneath it and still use the entire thing. That's nice. not a step side, is it? No, it's not. I, I wasn't a fan of the step side. What, uh, what's your between wheel wells? I don't even know on that old of a vehicle. It's, what? it's a little over uh, five feet. I forget, I forget if it's five feet, two inches, or three inches, but it's a little over five feet. Well, that's the length of the bed. He's talking about inside left to right wheel wells. So you can't lay oh, a the, sheet of pl- yeah, you can't lay a sheet of plywood flat without it being stuck up on side on one of the wheel wells on one side. I have to take the inside measurement. I mean, I I, I want to say though, from bed rail to bed rail, it's five feet something. I don't know about the the fender wells. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was talking in, inside the wheel wells. If yeah. it's four but you, feet. You can lay a a sheet of plywood flat, and it not interfere as long as you're above the 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 rear. I can't say it because it's ours, but the fender wells. No, yeah, that's that's what I was getting at. What, yeah, it'll fit between the beds, but not between the wheel wells. Exactly. So, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, yeah, you don't want anything because, you know, you build up a platform and, you know, you got five sheets of plywood. You put that on the platform, but then, you, you know, if you're grabbing, say, a dozen two-by-fours, then you can slide them underneath. Exactly. You know, yeah, you don't want to use up that space, so I mean, that'll be interesting. You, you could... I mean, because I was looking at them, and if that's the only thing that you have, you can, of course, put on the, the sheets of plywood and then stack everything on top of it. But then let's say I want to just back up my truck and take out the material that I need and cut it down to size as I use it and leave, leave it in my truck. I can't do that if I have all my two-by-fours and whatnot stacked on top. So I really just like having them segregated if I can. So, yeah, I'm yeah. excited about the project. I think it'll be useful, and it, I, it, I think it's a simple enough project that I should be able to knock it out in a few hours. Because that's kind of my age-old, you know, argument when it comes to a lumber, yeah, lumber rack is, you know, you don't want, you know, you don't want it four or five boards high because you're always going to need that bottom board. Yes. But it seems it seems tough sometimes to say, okay, I'm only going to have this to where there's two boards, then a shelf, two boards, and then a shelf. So I, you know, it's just that, you know, if if you stack anything, chances are you're going to need what's on the bottom. Yep. With my truck, Jay, though, what you, go ahead. Sorry, what did you say about your truck? I was say with my truck, the uh, the rack that I built in it, I finally disassembled it. It's a couple months ago, I think. Uh, finally disassembled it after it being in there for like four years. But it does have these cutouts inside the sides of the bed, to where you can uh, put horizontal left to right two by fours, four of them front to back. Uh, to elevate a platform above the wheel wells. And what I do on top of that is take three nine-foot two-by-fours, nine-foot studs, whatever you want to call them, um, and put those running front to back on top of the grid and screw those down. That way I can I have a nice platform that runs front to back to slide the plywood front to back. But it also sticks out the backside by six or seven inches. That way you can loop your tie downs over both corners of the plywood and then underneath the center two by four and back over the other corner ties everything down 
But something that was pointed out to me, which I totally did not think about, is don't go too crazy when you're stacking plywood above that stuff. Because if it's level with the glass and you get into a wreck, well, then that piece of plywood slides forward and chop, chop goes your head. Yeah, that's why a lot of the commercial vehicles have what they call headache wrecks. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing with uh, four-wheelers. Buddy, uh buddy of ours rolled it in or drove it in and then didn't stop soon enough in the... Uh, the grill on the front of the four-wheeler busted out the, the rear window. Ah. It didn't injure anybody, but it cost him <laughs> an expensive window. All right. You guys want to get into some questions here? Uh, well, you didn't have your... You didn't talk yet. Yeah. What, oh. are, what are you up to in your shop, Jay? <laughs> I forgot. Not much of anything, really. I'm, I've, I've, I took last week to go visit family in Michigan, and that kind of put me behind and completely killed my momentum, and it's just... I don't know why, but this this week I've just had a hard time just getting something going. If I start something, then I gotta take a break from it for something, you know, family or house oriented. And we had a couple things happen around the house. We have some snakes in our backyard again while I was gone. Well, last year my dog got bit by a snake, so my wife's freaking out about that and had to do a bunch of put a bunch of sulfur out and stuff like that. And just a lot of little stuff that. Uh, makes me sound like i'm complaining but i just can't just can't get the momentum going so hopefully hopefully i'll get going within the next day or two other than that that family time's important i I saw on your instagram you went to a concert that looked pretty pretty cool oh that is cool the guns and roses concert how was it that was awesome other than the fact that yeah it's a stadium concert so it's Mm -hmm. it was ford field in detroit and you know, you think stadium concerts like there's so many people. It's just gonna be a massive concert. It's just gonna be so awesome, which it really was. But there was that little that little bit of you know, this it's too big of a space for a concert. You get to a point where it's a little echoey, um, which we didn't have it where we were sitting. However, if you go down near the concessions and you're starting to walk back up, uh, there were certain areas that we had to go by where it really didn't sound good at all. But where we were sitting, which is like three seats from the top on the far end, like way off in the distance. Uh, it sounded it sounded pretty good where we were at, uh, but it was Guns N' Roses. Alice in Chains opened up for him. It was just so much fun, and uh, That's awesome. they, they performed pretty well. It was I was quite surprised. I thought it was going to be like a, I thought it was going to be a coin toss, you know, like absolute crap or just really awesome. And luckily, it was just really awesome. Yeah, I agree with Nick. That that family time's quality. Yeah. Yeah, and they're in Michigan. I'm in Mississippi. I don't hardly get to see them, so. And it took some mm-hmm. time, which I'm going to be taking a lot of time. You know, next month we're going to Nick's place for quite a bit. And then, uh, let's see, that's July, August. My wife wants to go to Destin, Florida for something. I don't know, like a couple of days, like a weekend to get away. I don't know. It's just something her and her best friend are planning, and I'm going to be driving, basically. So I don't know <laughs> what we're going to be doing. And then September, I'm going to Cincinnati for WIA. And I'm leaving Cincinnati to go back to Michigan to my dad's place because my sister's getting wedding, getting married. And that's going to be a full week and a half. So I'm going to be putting a lot more miles on my truck here soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys want to uh, get into a question? Sure. All right. Uh, Chris is wondering. He, he just got his first table saw. He's pretty excited about that. And he noticed that none of us use the guards on our saws. He said, though, he's confident and has a healthy respect for the power of the saw. He wants to keep... Uh, keep it on his saw as much as possible being he's a newbie uh, what would you recommend uh, would you recommend using the guard and how long until he graduates to take it off 
That is, I will never recommend anybody take any safety feature off of any power tool. That is totally a personal preference thing. Uh, just because I find a safety guard to be inconvenient or in my way doesn't mean you will. And just use your use your tools as you see fit. But also, it that safety is all a personal decision. You know, just because you see somebody drive down the road without their seatbelt doesn't mean you should or should not use your seatbelt. It's, it's the same thing. Yeah, and I I would suggest. If you don't run into a situation to where it's bothering you or inconvenient or in the way, um, then, like, if there's not a need to take it off, then don't take it off. I mean, even if you feel really comfortable taking it off, like, if you don't need to, then why do it? The, really, the reason that I think I do it and a lot of the other video creators do it is because it just blocks a lot of the, the visual for the shots that we're doing on, on, on camera. Yeah, I mean, it's you get a better shot if there's not a, a big guard in front of it. I always took mine off. Uh, well, I mean, the saws that I learned on, that was before, you know, riving knives and, uh, and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, once I started getting into contractor saws, I actually thought it was more of a hindrance. And I'm, I'm, I'm in the same boat Jay is. Um, it's a complete comfort thing. Not a single person can say, hey, X, you know, this is the time when you're ready. Because uh, you might find that you like it and leave it on forever. Yeah. So, um, and keep in mind too, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll post a link to this video, but Tom Hintz, I always think I, I pronounce his name wrong, but Tom Hintz, Hintz um, has a video on kickback, uh, actual kickback on his channel. And uh, make sure to watch that because he did the kickback on purpose and kept his hand far, what he thought was far enough away, with a push block. And you get, you get to kind of see how kickback pulls the wood into the blade. And if you're holding on to it, it pulls your hand into the blade. Luckily, he got away unscathed. But um, definitely um, a sobering reminder of what can happen. And another one of the benefits to having a, a guard like that is they all have nowadays uh, the anti-kickback pawls, which are um, you know, supposed to prevent that. Uh, riving knife or splitter is definitely a must in this day and age. Yeah, there's no way but, I'll use a table saw. Well, I would, I would highly recommend not using table saws without riving knives if possible. Yeah, mm -hmm. especially if you're if you're ripping down any type of um, like home center lumber, whether it's dimensional like two by fours or even uh, some one by material. A lot of that stuff is rather wet. It's under tension or compression, and you see when you're when you're ripping that. It either widens out like a just a fork in the road, or it starts to come back together. So um, it'd be silly not to use a splitter. I always have the riving knife on through cuts, and uh, my riving knife right now is actually set so where it's like a sixteenth below the top of the blade. So I actually use it for a lot of my uh, non-through cuts as well. But it's just a comfort level, and I would say leave it on as long as you possibly can. I just don't like it because it I like to see where the blade is. Yeah, my riving knife is set like like you said, slightly below the top of the the blade, and I don't think I've ever removed it for any cuts other than dado cuts. Agreed. Same here. Mine yeah. is always on, and even like down to the guard on the circular saw. I know tons of people take off the guard on the circular saw, and because it, I don't know, so it, you can't do I guess certain cuts when, with the guard on. But so far, I haven't ran into any circumstance that requires me to take the guard off, so I haven't. 
and it, of course you can it doesn't block anything with the camera so I have no reason to take it off so it's gonna stay on the only time I've ever seen people remove the guards from circular saws is on job sites and that was years ago nowadays with OSHA and the way they are you get fined the general contractor or the whoever the subcontractor is they'll get fined a ton of money and there is really no reason to take it off or jam it up because it takes half a second to flip that that guard and yeah you know, and use your thumb to hold it open if you need to yeah yeah that's what i've done all right so paul asks i was wondering about workflow when setting up a shop i've heard this term many times but truthfully i am not sure if i understand what it actually is and how to actually look at my space and try to determine how to set it up can you discuss what workflow is and how you th- how to think about how and how to think about workflow when setting up a shop um basically if you have like a project plan and you go through the project plan, what tools are required for the first steps? What tools are required for the next step after that? And just try to make it convenient to go from tool one to tool two. It doesn't really make much sense if tool one is on your far east wall, tool two is on your far west wall, tool three is back on your far east wall and back and forth. If you can kind of group similar items and similar processes together, then it'll cut down on uh, increase efficiency, cut down on, on unnecessary time moving around your shop. Like for me, most all of my tools are rotating around my assembly table. So from the miter saw to the jointer to the table saw to the planer, that's typically a, a four tool run, and they're all in they're all directly next to the next one. Yeah, it's it all depends to uh, what type of projects. I mean, if you're doing rough saw and lumber. So, and, and also how your shop is set up. If it's a linear thing to where you have a garage door at either end, or if you want something more of like kind of a horseshoe shape. My wife, the company my wife works for is into lean manufacturing and they have these workstations that are uh, kind of like a horseshoe, cha- uh, horseshoe shape. So at, when you intake the material, it goes in this progression and when it basically is done with its process, it started at the same point, intake and outtake are in the same spot. So if you're bringing in rough lumber, you might want to have your joiner and your planer kind of in line so that you can do that. And then, uh, you know, maybe a chop saw to cut it to length. And if you're, if you're going to do any type of finishing, you might want that at the end. So that way, once the furniture is done, now it's on the outside of the shop again. So. Well, and I think we did a, a whole episode maybe not a whole episode, but I I know that we spent quite a bit of time on a previous episode talking about workflow. And actually, Jay put a diagram of his shop set up, because Jay's actually set up his shop to where he can back in the truck, take out a sheet of plywood from the the rear, and then what, take it right to the the table saw, Jay, and then take it over to the modder saw? Yeah. Is that the way it goes? Okay. Yeah, so there's a diagram of Jay's shop workflow on... uh, on one of those episodes. So we'll try to find that and link it below for you so that you can listen to maybe more details. I don't know if it's my shop, but there is a diagram. Oh, okay. Another thing to think about, think about the opposite, terrible workflow. Would you have your screws stored above your table saw and your finishing supplies underneath your miter saw? Or, you know, you you bring wood in and then you got to go all the way to the back of the shop to rip it down. And then you got to bring it all the way to the front to cut it to length, and then bring it all the way to the back to throw in a mortise, and then bring it up. So that would be terrible workflow. Is that you're 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 busy moving material around again and again. So just try and shorten up the the walking steps of having to move material. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and as far as like how to set it up, I mean, you all, it, it almost depends on your space setup as well. Mine is kind of a big box, or the majority of the functional space in my shop is is um, kind of a box setup. And so what I had to do is I had to place my table saw first and figure out where is it that I can have the uh, appropriate amount of infeed and outfeed for running in large pieces of uh, of wood, and then everything else was set up around my table saw once I had that situated. Let's see, we got uh, Rob Sloyer. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah. I've heard all of you mention your compressor setups, and it sounds like you all have pretty large 220-volt, 50-plus gallon compressors. Can you guys talk about compressed air in a little bit more detail? What compressor do you use? Why? What would you do the same or differently if buying today? What air tools do you use and for what task? And then uh, what advice do you have regarding compressed air compressors and air tools? I've got a, I'm, I'm probably the one who uses compressed air the least of us three. I've got one of those roll around um, 20 gallon loud, oilless, obnoxious things you want to throw out in the river. Um, it's just regular, I think it's 20 gallon, five horsepower, runs off 120 volt. I use it to fill up the tires in my truck and to spray finishes out of a gravity fed HVLP gun. That's pretty much all I use it for these days. I had some bread brad guns but since i got a battery powered brad gun brad nailer i never use it so uh, i don't uh the 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 20 gallon five horse 120 volt for me does everything that i needed to do mine is a uh, upright 60 gallon uh 220 volt and uh <laughs> is it 220 or is it is that 240 it's uh, 220 221 whatever it takes Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> if you guys haven't seen the movie Mr. Mom, you have to check out that movie. That's the guy was renovating and he's like, oh, so what are you putting in? 220? He goes, Oh yeah, 220, 221, whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, back to my point. Uh 60 gallon upright for myself. Um it, I I got that I don't know, six or seven years ago. Uh, my reason for such a large one is because uh, I, I often spray finishes uh, right out of a little HVLP, and so you need that high CFM rating. And I think I think mine's right around like 17 or 18 CFM at 90 psi. So uh, and that's just your cubic feet per minute. That's the volume of air at that pressure. And so the larger compressors can keep up with that. If you do, like, say, a, a smaller, you've probably seen the pancake style, those are good for brad nailers and um, various tools that you don't, um, that don't consume a ton of air. I also have uh, some mechanics tools like air ratchets and impacts um, that, that, you know, they're like a, a vein, you know, air vein motor, and they just, they just suck up a lot of volume of air. Uh, I'll put a link to, I have a, a video on my air compressor and I, the way I plumbed it up into the shop because it's actually in my basement, super quiet. I can remotely activate it and I got a little control panel on the wall. And um, definitely, you know, they're definitely a luxury, but if you're spraying or using any type of, say, die grinder, kind of a necessity because the other, the smaller ones can't keep up. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah, I'm the same. For the uh, past two years, I've been using a little two-gallon air compressor just for the little bit of brad nailing that I've been using. But I want to get into spraying more finishes uh, for the convenience. And so I went ahead and upgraded to a 60-gallon, uh, let's see, I'm actually looking up the specs. And this, Jay, says that it's 230 volts. So it runs off 220, 240. 
and it's uh, 18.1 CFM at 90. And, um, yep, 60-gallon. I, I, like I said, just for the convenience of wanting to get into to spraying finishes, I don't think I would change anything different. I haven't, of course, bought a sprayer yet, so I haven't really been able to test it out. Um, but one thing that I had lucked into is the previous owner of my shop put a switch on the inside of my shop so that I could just go over there and flip it from the inside so it doesn't run throughout the night. So whenever I come into the shop, I turn on the lights, turn on the music, turn on my air compressor, and then when I leave, I turn them all off. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so that's something I would recommend if you're setting up your air system is just to include a switch from the inside of the shop or like what Nick said, a remote. Well, my yeah, mine's, I guess, a, a remote controlled but not wirelessly. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, if 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 you guys have interest, definitely check it out. Uh, I I you know it was one of my earlier videos, so it's not like the best in the world, but um, that's actually what I used to do as a profession. Was I was a, a pipe fitter mostly for natural gas and um, airlines. So the solenoids and wiring that type of stuff up and plumbing that type of stuff up was just second nature and. Not only that, but it's cool. It's actually a conversation piece. I got my buddies coming to my shop for the first time, and they're like, what's this control panel, you know, flush mounted to your wall? I'm like, oh, that's my air compressor station. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that's one of those, you know, oh, look at that. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, if you're, it, I would first, like what Nick said, evaluate what tools you're going to be running off of it, and then take it from there on what, what size you need. Because I got by with the longest time, on just a little two gallon. It turned on uh, more than I liked using a brad nailer, but these days it seems like so many people are coming out with brad nailers that are battery operated. And I mean, so if you're not gonna get into spraying finishes or other air tools, then I mean, a, a huge air compressor just might not be needed. Right. Yeah, there's just, you know, it, it all depends. Uh, typically, a lot of what, uh, you know, air tools are available, they're available on an electric side as well. Uh, with the exception of maybe just a handful uh, but again, yeah, it, whatever you're looking at doing, I just like that convenience. Again, it's I'm kind of spoiled by having a nicer, larger air compressor, but that convenience of doesn't matter what the tool is, plug it in, and I know I have enough air. So. All right, well, that's all we got for you guys this week. want to remind you that there's a couple ways to stay up to date with the podcast. Go to thewoodworkingpodcast.com, and at the top, you'll find a couple clickable buttons for you to subscribe uh, on Android, RSS, or on iTunes. If you are on iTunes, uh, be sure to drop us a review. It's very much appreciated. And also, if you want a question or comment answered on the show or talked about on the show, uh, fill out the contact form up at the top of the where is it at? Is that, is that at the top of the website? It's on our website. I don't know where it's at. Fill out the contact form and we'll be sure to include it with the next episode of the podcast. And thanks for listening as always. You guys take care and have a good one. Bye, everyone. I'm wondering how many people actually wait to the end and actually listen to the end. So if you listen to the end, let me know. Bye. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>